Good morning. Uh, please stand with me as I read God's word. It's an amazing book. need to read it. I need to read it more. I'm reading from 2 Timothy chapter 3, verse 14 to 17. You, however, continue in the things you have learned and become convinced of, knowing that from whom you have learned them, and that from childhood you have known the sacred writings, which are able to give you the wisdom that leads to salvation through faith, which is in Christ Jesus. All scripture is given, inspired by God, and profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, for training in righteousness, that the man of God may be adequate, equipped for every good work. You pray with me. Lord, we thank you so much for this day, and we thank you for every single person that came here today. And I pray that everyone's hearts here will be open to receive the word that Pastor Chris gives us, and that you'll speak to each of us and send us out for the week to serve you better. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Thank you, Sandy. Remember, if you'd like to read scripture for Sunday service, I'd love to talk to you. I love the participation. There's a spiritual point in it all, and uh, we'll, we'll, we'll get into it. Now, I want to let you know that the sermon today is going to last an hour and 48 minutes. And uh, you guys can all tongue lash Juan later. <laughs> I joke. No, it's going to go fast. There's a lot here is what I'm trying to say. And uh, I want you to remember that my message will be online on YouTube, uh, YouTube link on fecharlan.org if Mike Shaw gets it done tonight, but it's usually by Monday morning. There's going to be a lot of scripture reference I'm going to give you on the fly. I am not slowing down. So know now as you're taking notes, you may want to slow your roll a little bit, absorb, and then go back and check the video. If you have any doubt that this is, in fact, the Word of God, you need to pay attention to what I'm about to tell you, because I'm laying it out for you as clear and as plain as I know how today, because this is critical, the Holy Word of God, the Bible. Why have we gathered here today? Because we believe the Bible. At the end of the day, that's what it's about. We believe in the God of the Bible, the Christ of the Bible, the plan of salvation revealed in the Bible, and everything else written in the Bible. And to a finer point, we believe the Bible to be the very word of God in the English language. And I have taken this on in my life at such a level that I've allowed thousands of people to call me an idiot for believing it. And so I embraced it. And I made a movie with 92 minutes and credits showing you exactly why. And I don't care if you think I'm an idiot. And there are people that think some of you are idiots. So that's why we come together and we worship Jesus. So we hold up our Bibles and we say, this book is the word of God. I believe it from cover to cover. It is without error and it is absolutely perfect. I believe that too but I fear that many do not know why they believe that. Or they have been duped into thinking the Bible is less than what it actually is. Look, everything we believe either stands or falls on the accuracy of the Bible. Did you know that? Therefore, it is imperative that we know why we believe what we believe about the Bible. And I would like for us to consider the doctrine of bibliology. Bibliology, that is a word that means the study of the Bible. I think it would be good for us to get our 
knowledge of what's going on a little bit better. That's why I want to share with you. The big reason is, is it carries divine authority. And when we are out of kilter, out of alignment with that divine authority, a lot of stuff in our life won't work. That doesn't mean we're not saved, although our testimony can get shaken to that point when we get out of alignment. But the Bible brings us back to alignment. Now, how often are you totally in tune and aligned with God? How many days in a row? I'm going to tell you, zero. You are constantly wobbling in and out of alignment the whole time you are awake. In keeping with repentance, daily, the Bible says, his long arm of mercy is renewed each day. None of you, if you, if you claim the Nazarene doctrine, which is you can, you can reach sinless perfection while you're in this flesh body, I'm here to say that's not possible. So we have to constantly be realigned. That's why we come to the word of God. So let's get into it. A good word that describes the Bible is the word unique. The dictionary defines the word unique as follows. One, only one, being the only one of its kind. Two, better than others, superior to all others. And three, unusual, different from others in a way that makes something worthy of note. It is the only book of its kind in existence. I'm going to share with you over 40 years of research by me personally, standing on the shoulders of the greatest scholars in the world and some of the greatest archaeologists in the world and some of the greatest historians in the world. This is not by chance. I did not stumble across this this week like, oh, this would be something good to share with the people. This is foundation. And if you get this right, you got a shot. You get this wrong, and may the Lord have, you know, long arm of mercy find you and reach you somewhere. See, the Bible was written over a period of 1,500 years. The Bible was written by over 40 different authors. Among them, listen to this now, kings, military leaders, peasants, philosophers, fishermen, tax collectors, poets, statesmen, musicians, scholars, and shepherds. The Bible was written in many different places at many different times and by people experiencing many different moods. And the Bible was written on three continents, Asia, Africa, and Europe. And the Bible was written in three different languages, Hebrew, Greek, and Aramaic. The Bible is written in many different styles. I don't know if you even thought about that. You know, we get so narrow in our focus of you know, wanting God to fit in our little box that we think that everything we open in, in Scripture should, should read the way we want to write. Well, it's not. The styles are prose, poetry, historical narrative, romance, law, biography, parable, allegory, and prophecy. The Bible addresses hundreds of difficult issues without a single contradiction. The Bible is a book of great diversity, yet in spite of all of this, it unfolds, it, it unfolds a single continuous story, and it does so without ever contradicting itself. Have you ever thought about that? The Bible is, and, or has for its main character, God himself made known through the person of what God says is his son, which we believe is God himself manifest in flesh nature because God is so immense, that creature that he is of himself has to be lesser than, it has to be an offspring of him, so that's why we call it his son. Father, Son, Holy Spirit, one God, triune. See, the Bible is a unique book, but this uniqueness was not accidental, it was purposeful. Now how can this be? The Bible achieves its uniqueness through a process known as inspiration. It is a process that I want to look at together today. 
Because maybe some of you have never been taught this. In fact, I'd venture to guess most of you, unless you've gone to seminary classes, you probably didn't get into this this deep. But I want you to know that this is what's under attack. You eliminate this, and everything that we stand for can be throttled. You stand on this, and everything that Jesus has in our life and his best for us is right there for us. I didn't say that correctly, but anyway, let's move on. In verse 16 of our text, it's broken down to say in many translations, all scripture is given by inspiration of God. The word inspiration literally means God breathed. And in the ESV, that's how our text today is broken down. It says in verse 16, all scripture is breathed out by God. Now, if God has given his word and delivered it by his very breath, then it stands to reason that the scripture he has given us is absolutely perfect, yeah? Let's look at the matter of inspiration, and I want you to think about the Holy Bible, the Holy Word of God, and why it's important to understand that it is a different book. I'm 58 years old, and anybody around 50 or older remembers, what am I doing right now? We don't do that no more, do we? Our country quietly, systematically, without any fanfare over the last 20 years has eliminated the Bible from the courtroom to swear your oath. Uh, That's bigger doings than what you might think for our country. Anyway, let's go to point number one, process of God's inspiration. I want to talk to you about the process. And I'll give you the other answers on your little note card there. The next one's proof and then results. I got it all today, folks. What process did God use to get his words into the hands and hearts of men? Well, there are terms that must be addressed as we deal with the matter of inspiration. And the first one is revelation. The first step in getting the word of God on paper is the process known as revelation. This is the process where man hears from the Lord just what the Lord wants written down. At varying times, God used various means to give his revelation. He spoke through angels, Genesis 18, 19, Luke 1 and 2, Matthew 28, top of my head. He spoke through an audible voice in Genesis 3, 6, 12, Exodus 20, Joshua 1, 1 Kings 17, and so forth. He spoke in a still small voice to Elijah in 1 Kings 19. He spoke through nature in Psalm 19. Do you realize that God in his word tells every one of us, every one of you, that his natural revelation in nature should be enough for the human being to know that God designed it and that, he, that you should know him. I mean, when you really get into it, you see that God does it all for us. It's amazing. He spoke through animals in Numbers 22, 28. He spoke in dreams in Genesis 28, Matthew 1 and 2. He spoke through visions all over the Bible, Isaiah, Daniel, Acts 16 and 19. I don't know the exact process by which God spoke to the original authors, but we do have God's word on the fact that he did. In 2 Peter 1.21, it says, For the prophecy came not in old time by the will of man, but holy men of God spake as they were moved by the Holy Ghost. Now that old translation of 2 Peter 1.21 in common language says, They only spoke what the Holy Spirit told them to say, and not a single syllable more. This is revelation that God is telling man what he wants down. So next leads is our heart for our message today, inspiration. You got a just of revelation. Inspiration is where we kind of go off the track a little bit. See, the second step is the actual process of inspiration. This is man writing on paper what God has told him to say. God breathed, yeah? So check this out. 
The Bible clearly claims inspiration for itself. 2 Timothy 3.17, part of our text today. 2 Peter 1, 20 and 21. Hebrew 1, 1. Paul believed his writings were inspired. In 1 Corinthians 4 and in 15 and in 2 Thessalonians, or 1 Thessalonians 2 and 4. Peter believed his writings were inspired. 2 Peter 3, 2. Peter believed the writings of Paul to be inspired. 2 Peter 3, 15 and 16. Somehow God superintended the process of getting his word into man and then threw that man onto paper and inspiration has been defined by Charles C. Rye as this. Here's what Charles C. Ryrie says. God's superdependence, I, I said that wrong. God's superindependence, I said that wrong again. God's superintendence of the human authors so that using their own individual personalities, they composed and recorded without air his revelation to man in the words of the original autographs. I love that. But the question comes, how did he do this? Fine, it sounds good, but how, how did it roll? Well, of course, there are many different views, but there's only one correct view. I want to share a few of the incorrect ones with you first, okay? Because you might have heard of some of these. Anybody ever hear of natural inspiration? That's different than natural revelation. Natural inspiration, the theory holds that there was nothing supernatural involved in the writings of the Bible. Men were inspired in the same fashion as Shakespeare, Milton, Dante, etc. Spiritual illumination is the next view. People who hold this view believe that the people and the words were inspired, but they believe that any devout Christian can be inspired to write more scripture. It's another error. Partial inspiration. This view says that only the elements in the Bible related to faith are inspired. There may be scientific or historical error, but God has preserved the message of salvation. The problems with this view are pretty easy to see. If you cannot believe part of the Bible, you can't really believe all of it, right? I mean, is anybody, like, kind of pregnant? Conceptual inspiration, the concepts of Scripture and not the words are inspired. God just gave man an idea and he wrote what he thought on that topic. And then there's divine dictation. The biblical writers were merely, you know, bots in the hand of God and he came upon them and overrode them and, and he moved the pen merely using their body as a vehicle to write their words. Now, if this were true, then why do John, Paul, Peter, James, Matthew, Moses all reveal different writing styles? Plain as day. See, all of these, among others, are false views of inspiration. Allow me to share with you the biblical view of inspiration. Most people who have studied this and who believe that Jesus is their Savior and would be willing to die for him would call it this. You ready? Verbal plenary inspiration of the Bible. What this simply means is that all plenary the very words, verbal, of the Bible are inspired. This is the claim of the Bible. It claims it in 2 Timothy 3.16, which was part of our text today, Matthew 4.4, 4, John 6.33. And it is in the position we gladly affirm today. We gladly affirm that God inspired every word of this, and it's absolutely perfect, it's absolutely complete, and it's our final authority for our life here on earth. What this means is that God gave words to human authors and he did not override their personalities. He did, however, guide their choice of words. 
When they had written down all that God had given them in his revelation, they produced a perfectly inspired record of God's revelation. God breathed his word through human vessels, giving the world a perfectly inspired statement of his plan for men. And when I say men in that context, I mean people, men and women. Illumination, the third process, is getting the word of God to men in the process known as illumination. This is the process by which God uses the inspired written record of his revelation to speak to the hearts of individual people. This is when the Holy Spirit causes the light to come on the human heart and men see themselves as they are and Jesus as the fulfillment of the need that's in their heart. It is also the process by where the Spirit of God allows us to understand the truth of the Word of God. Thus, the cycle of inspiration is complete. Since inspiration is our topic today, we will leave the subject of illumination for another time, but there's a lot there. Just know it all fits hand in glove. Let's go to point two, proof of God's inspiration. There's proof everywhere. Now that we have something of an idea of what inspiration is, now you know, we can be sure that our Bibles are generally inspired by the word of God? Yeah? Can you? Well, the bottom line is that if it doesn't come down to faith, you know, it always does. It always comes down to faith. But you want to know something? Faith is never some ridiculous leap in the dark. That's called a hunch. Our faith can rest not just in the fact that God personally breathed his word through men, but you can rest that his word will stand up to every important test to its perfection. I want to share a few of them with you. It passes the historical archaeological test with flying colors. For many years, people laughed at the Bible and the people who believed the Bible and referred to places and people and events that had no basis in recorded history. However, through the good grace of God, he has allowed archaeologists as spades to uncover many items from the ancient past that confirm the factual nature of the Word of God. Not a single piece of evidence has ever surfaced, nothing has ever surfaced that contradicts the Bible at any point in history. They tried, I don't know if you remember this, about three years ago, four years ago, they tried to come out and say the Bible's not true because there, there were no camels in ancient times in Israel or in Judea or Samaria. Do you realize who put that out? Do you realize the team that made that statement? They dug, it, they dug in five little places and they didn't find any camel bones. So they made that statement. God's word, it, it stands up to everything. I mean, it's automatic. I, you just know God's word's gonna come through. It does, every single time. For years, men said that a place called Ur of the Chaldeans never existed, then proof was discovered that proved that it did. The historicity of Joseph's rule in Egypt, confirmed by a tablet found in Yemen. It seems that the clay tablet was found in the tomb of a rich woman who recorded her efforts to buy grain from a man named Joseph in a land called Egypt. The seal of Barak, Jeremiah's scribe, has been found. Uh, Jezebel's makeup saucers have been found. Brick in Egypt, old ancient bricks in Egypt were found that were made without straw. The death of Jesus has been proven to be a historical fact where anybody to try to even deny that won't even try because it's, the evidence is so overwhelming to even the staunchest atheist. The list could go on for hours, but it's suffice to say that the Bible has been and continues to be accurate in every detail it records. This kind of accuracy is something else that no other religious text can even claim. 
The Book of Mormon is riddled with errors. Don't even get me started on the Quran. Look, the Bible can be trusted. It passes the scientific test. Others have mocked the Bible and claimed that it was woefully inadequate in matters of science. However, time and again vindicated the accuracy and the message of the Bible. The Bible says the earth is a sphere in Isaiah 40, 22. And for any of you Christians out there who are caught up in the delusion of a flat earth, let me tell you, by trying to even claim that, you're going against the word of God. The Bible says the earth is suspended in space in Job 26.7. Sir Isaac Newton discovered this in 1687. The Bible claims the number of stars are innumerable in Genesis 15.5, and Abraham could probably only see about 1,200 stars in his day. Now we know that there are trillions of stars in the heavens. The Bible contains rules regarding medicine and sanitation that were thousands of years ahead of their time. Washing and quarantine rules. Many, many more scientific items could be mentioned here, but these should suffice for this message today. Let me just tell you, the scientific test of the Bible, it's past them all. Honest tests, every one of them. The Bible can be trusted. It passes the prophecy test. There are literally thousands of prophetic predictions made in the Bible. For some of these prophecies are quite dramatic, dramatic in nature. For instance... Isaiah mentions Cyrus, the Persian king, by name 125 years before he was born. Not a single prophecy, not one, that's been made in the Bible has ever failed or will ever fail or will fail to come to pass. Some of the most remarkable prophecies are those related to the Lord Jesus Christ. For instance, if you were to take just a few of the most specific prophecies concerning the Lord Jesus and his birth and earthly life, you can see how astonishing the accuracy of the Bible is. So I want us to consider just 17 today. Like I say, we're going fast. 17 prophecies. Hear them out. And then I got, I got the math for you at the end. Number one, he would be born in Bethlehem, Micah 5.2. Number two, he would be preceded by a forerunner, Isaiah 40, verse 3. Number three, he would enter Jerusalem on a colt, Zechariah 9.9. By the way, Jesus entered Jerusalem on the exact day Daniel prophesied hundreds of years earlier in Daniel 9.25 through 27. He would be, number four, he would be betrayed by a friend in Psalm 41.9. Five, his hands and feet would be pierced. And that's found in, in uh, uh, Psalm 22, he would be wounded by his enemies, Isaiah 53, 5. He would be betrayed for 30 pieces of silver, Zechariah 11, 12. Number eight, he would spit, be spit upon and beaten, Isaiah 50, verse 6. Number nine, the betrayal money would be cast down in temple and would be used to buy potter's field. You go to Israel with us, that's one of the stops we could make. It's still there today, Zechariah eleven thirteen. How would he be silent? He would be silent before his accusers. How would he do that? Well, that's told to us in Isaiah 53, 7. He would be crucified with thieves in Isaiah 53, 12. Number 12, he would gamble his garments, Psalm 22, 8. His side would be pierced, Zechariah 12, 10. Not a bone in his body would be broken, Psalm 34, 20. His body would not decay, Psalm 16.10. He would be in a burial of a tomb of a rich man, Isaiah 53.9, and darkness would cover the earth, Amos 8.9. That's 17. Only 17. There's a lot more. Okay? And these odds have been calculated by severely intelligent people. These 17 prophecies coming to pass in one person with the age of the earth 
you know, thousand years, 1,500 years ago, and then 500 years, and then boom, it happens. All these prophecies come to happen in one person. The chance is one chance in 480 billion times 1 billion times 1 trillion. That is the number 480 followed by 30 zeros. Now here's what the mathematical equivalency is. Uh, when I was doing the research on the math of the prophecies this week, they used Texas. I, I've always used North and South Dakota when I've explained it, but it's the same math. I've been telling the same story for 10 years. Picture Texas. And it is two feet deep with quarters, the whole state, two feet deep. You go anywhere in Texas, and you just pick up a quarter, and you put a red X on it. And then you throw it down, and you leave Texas. And Texas is completely barren except for these quarters. And so then what happens is for 30 years, uh, earth movie machines mix up those quarters. And then you get a stranger, and you blindfold them. You say, you can go anywhere you want in Texas. And when you feel the right time, we want you to bend down and pick up one quarter. That's the odds that that person's going to pick that quarter. Let's just call it what it is. Impossible. Impossible. The Bible can be trusted. And it breaks my heart to watch good people get duped by snowflake philosophies. It passes the unity test. What God begins in Genesis, he ends in Revelation. Have you ever thought about the tree of life? Where do you see it? Genesis and Revelation. This is in spite of the fact that it took 1,500 years to write the Bible. It is the unfolding of a single story from beginning to end. This could never be duplicated by human hands. The Bible can be trusted. It passes the honesty test. This were mere human book. It would gloss over the failures of the people within its pages, yeah? However, the Bible does not hide Noah's drunkenness, Samson's lust, David's adultery, Elijah's depression, or Peter's denial. It tells the truth from cover to cover. The Bible can be trusted. There are many other areas we could go. And like I said, I could hold you here for, for an hour. Let me just say no human book could accomplish this. Just what I had mentioned is proof positive that what we have in our hands is the divine word of our heavenly Father. So let's go to the last point today. What are the results? The results of God's inspiration. We know what inspiration is, and we can easily see God's fingerprints all over his word. If we accept the Bible as the inspired word of God, what does that teach us? What can we take away from such an examination? We are left with three precious truths that must never be taken for granted. Number one, the Bible is infallible. What this words mean is that the scripture is incapable of failing. Everything the Bible says is truth. And all everything it promises has come and will come to pass. Which means, those of you who are living in the last days, we got some prophecy hounds around town. You are convinced we are in the last days. If the Bible says what we, happens in the last days is actually going to happen and is happening, then how then should we act? What should we do? Where should our priorities go? I said for two weeks, a little bit ago, that if you have that end times mentality, the thing that should bubble up in your heart to confirm it is just an incredible desire to share the gospel with the lost. And that doesn't mean that you've got to go out and be the next Billy Graham. 
That means the next time God opens up an opportunity where someone's questioning the meaning of life and they're looking to you, you can share with them. And if all you got is to take one of these little business cards and say, hey, I go to Fresh Encounter Church and we've got a, uh, you know, a little loudmouth pastor who will meet with you. He, he loves talking to folks about Jesus. Do that. See, the scriptures are in every sense perfect and they are the perfect revelation of the mind of God to you and I. The Bible is also inerrant. E.J. Young defines inerrancy this way. By this word, we mean that Scripture possesses the quality of freedom from all error. They are exempt from the liability to mistake and capable of error. In all their teachings, they are perfect accord with the truth. When people say that the Bible contains mistakes and errors, they are calling the very character of God into question. We are told that God can simply not tell a lie in Hebrews 6.18. If he claimed inspiration for his word, then that word must be inerrant. If it isn't, then God lied when he claimed to have inspired the original text. The Bible, lastly, is complete. The Bible is complete. When the apostle John laid down his pen at the close of the book of Revelation, the revelation in the scriptures was perfect and fully complete. There has not been a single inspired word since that time, and there never will be. God has finished his scriptures, and we hold in our hands the perfect and complete record of that revelation. If you lived 10,000 lifetimes and read every book ever written and that would ever be written, you would never again encounter a book like the Bible. In fact, you would never again encounter any other scripture as well. The Bible is complete. We have a Jesus plus plus problem in America today. In America today, our society wants to take the truth of the scripture, the truth of Jesus Christ, and they want to twist it into you add Jesus into your life and he'll make you a little bit better, fill in the blank. Jesus doesn't come to make you better. He comes to take you out of your death state and give you life. That's much different than behavior modification. The final analysis is this. When you read your Bible, you are reading the very words of God. You can base your faith upon it, and you can trust it to eternity. There's no jump in the dark here, folks. There's no blind just, hey, faith in the Bible. I have faith in the Bible because anything else feels really, really stupid to me based on the actual evidence on the ground. You can embrace its message knowing that it reveals the very mind of God to you. It cannot fail. It cannot err. It will never be corrected, updated, or amended. It is complete and it is perfect. My high hope is that this hasn't been too academic. I want this message to serve and help to further anchor your faith in the blessed word of God. I thank him for his perfect word and I'm thankful that this book has revealed the sin of my heart and pointed out that I was headed to hell. And when you understand God's sovereignty, you realize that was a just punishment. That's a just punishment for a creator, holy creator over the sinful people like us who can't stand in God's presence. Do you realize that we are so filthy in our sin that God can't have us in his presence? Do you realize that's why it's called the good news? 
See, because God came down to earth in the form of Jesus, he lived a perfect life you can't live. Then he died a sacrificial death for you. I've heard scholars say that the mind of God is so immense that he actually was thinking of you when he was hanging on the cross. That's love. That's big love. I'm also thankful that God illuminated my heart to allow me to see that not only myself and my need, but also Jesus Christ is the solution to my problem. And when I realized that I was running and that Jesus was coming down from heaven after me and every other religion was trying to work their way up to heaven and try to do this and this ritual and chant like this and do this, and I mean, it's, it's sad. It's sad to see how good we got it and, 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 and some people are just walking around blind. You want to encourage them, you want to lift the veil. Do you want to know something? That the, I believe that the propaganda and the beatdown on the Muslim people in the Middle East is so severe that it would take an act of God to change their mind. And over the last 15 years, 15 years, that's what we're seeing. We're seeing people that wake up having had a legitimate vision of Jesus talking to them, and they change their life forever. And most of them, not many, but most lose their family and many of them lose their lives. You, you, wake, you wake up in a Muslim village and go start claiming Christ, you, you're not going to live very long. Many of them happily went to the grave. There is an explosion across the Middle East right now of underground gospel sharing because it's so important. God is un, un, opening up his spirit on some folks right now and because we live in America with what our country has done in the last couple years, do you not feel the Spirit of God being pulled away? Do you know that you don't have to live with that? You don't need to see the Spirit of God pulled away from you? God works His way to you, and if you've never been saved, I encourage you to come to Him today. And then, get into the Word of God any way you can. Any way you can, for your benefit. May the Lord richly bless you. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, thank you for these words. Thank you for this truth. Thank you. I'm just so grateful. It's just a heart of gratitude that we still can freely share this truth in America today. Lord, touch the hearts of your children in Jesus' name. Amen. Thanks for listening to the teaching ministry of my husband, Chris Danielson. BibleIdiots.com is still the website for this show, but we have grown. The new parent ministry is found at freshroadmedia.com. We would love to have you join us on our sister broadcast, a talk show that walks out Christian living and Bible apologetics entitled No Apology with Emily and Chris, a weekly download from freshroadmedia.com. Both broadcasts are listener-supported, and we would love to have you join us as the Lord leads. I'm Emily Danielson, and thank you so much for spending some time with us today. And may you see the blessings of the Lord as you go and serve your King.